Welcome back to the Run to Gold uh, podcast with Trace Mayer, and I've also got with us a special guest, the Silver Vigilante. How you doing? Doing very well, Trace. Thank you for having me. You know, one thing that I uh, that I kind of admire about you is that you've got an open mind. Uh, we've got some people in both the gold and the silver niches that they just don't really have open minds. You know, whether it's uh, Chris Duane, who's just been bad-mouthing Bitcoin for the last two years and continuing to badmouth Bitcoin despite like an all-time high or whether it's people who are just thinking that they can ignore it like uh, James Turk at Gold Money and it'll just go away and yet we're seeing all-time record high prices with Bitcoin. What do you think is driving this market fundamentally? Well, I think first and foremost it's the internet. Bitcoin is a natural extension of the internet and everybody believes in the internet. It's just a bunch of computers that are connected together and that is, or Bitcoin's a microcosm of that, that can actually lead the internet in new innovative directions. I saw an article yesterday, uh, Trace, about how Google is going to try to cut off at the knees websites that are providing links to users to copyrighted material. And the way they're going to do that is the same exact way that they went against WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks got around that blockade with Bitcoin, and it's fair that the same thing will happen with uh, the so-called copyrighted material of the internet, the pirate phase, etc. Yeah, and I actually just, uh, I wrote an article for the Bitcoin magazine on this very topic about economic censorship. Uh, as we move into the information age, how is Bitcoin a much more useful medium of exchange for protecting against economic censorship than even uh, gold or silver? That is a tough one. To answer, I think first and foremost, as you write a lot about it, how to banish traits, privacy, pseudonymity is very important. It's very rare that one can sign up for anything these days without providing intimate details of their lives. Um, even some Bitcoin conferences I've looked into recently, you have to sign up for. But the beauty of Bitcoin is that you can send something between two parties without a third party having to verify it. It's just your typical human contract between two individuals, a digital handshake, if you will. And uh, nobody else needs to know about that transaction. And I think that there is, a, within me, a, this innate predisposition towards this idea that I don't need uh, authority overseeing my daily lives, including my financial transactions, even in the age of terrorism. Yeah, there's this uh, fundamental theorem in cryptography that anything that can be done with a central authority can be done without one, you know? And so, like, the the way we set up cryptographic ciphers or the way we set up uh, even these computer networks, it, it we don't need centralized authority in any way in the actual technical underpinnings of these things. And Bitcoin's an excellent example of that. Just like you're saying, you know, you can send uh, with Bitcoin any amount of money anywhere in the world, to anyone, at any time, and it can't be seized or confiscated or frozen or impeded in any way. And uh, I think we're just kind of scratching the surface of this. And that kind of gets to uh, the next point, you know, being the silver vigilante, how's the silver price doing? Mm -hmm. Silver's had a tough year, uh, tough year or so, and this is something that was very clear to be seen, although it had had a decade of runs leading into 2012. Um, by the midpoint in 2012, it was very clear that it could have a, de have a, de 
an entire year of depressed prices. We're now beyond that. I believe they had a good 2012. We're now in leading into March of 2013, and it's been a good year now of depressed prices. Now, while uh, we might remember when Ben Bernanke uh, answered Ron Paul's question saying that gold has value because it's tradition, and it, that is a laughable statement coming from Ben Bernanke's mouth, uh, Keynesian as he is, but there is some truth to that. Gold, silver, platinum, and palladium even, although less so, do have a foot in our current socioeconomic cultural roots because of the history they've had as money, because of its tradition. Bitcoin's stepping out of that. It offers something different. It's embracing the future. It's embracing technology. It's embracing the internet, and people think that you can just shut off the internet, and therefore Bitcoin is irrelevant, but that's not how the internet works. The internet is nothing more than millions of computers linked together. You can't shut down all of those computers. They will always be able to be connected on some level. And that is, I believe, some of the power of Bitcoin. There could be attacks against the Internet, but that very well could just lead to uh, more strength in the fundamentals. Yeah, and uh, and also the development of other uh, coin chains, for example, like Namecoin. Uh, because I, I don't know if you saw recently, but Ron Paul has decided to f- uh, file suit uh, under ICANN, which is how you register domain names, against those that hold ronpaul.com and ronpaul.org, who have had them for over 10 years. And so Ron Paul, he's running uh, to this United Nations uh, institution saying, you know, I need to use violence against my very own most strident supporters in order to take from them their domain names against their will. Mm-hmm. And you know, if Ron Paul can censor their speech by taking their domain names, you know, and uh, I mean, we don't even want to think uh, how he would use that power against people that might politically oppose him. Uh, so this is just a whole giant debacle, I think. Uh, and hopefully Ron Paul just doesn't understand the implications of what he's doing. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, he claims to understand the principles of freedom and liberty. Uh, but this definitely doesn't comport with that. Uh, but it but it highlights the fundamental problem with the technical structure of that system with ICANN. There is actually some institutional organization that Ron Paul can go to and say, you know what, we need to use violence to take something that I want from somebody else against their will. Mm-hmm. And with Namecoin, it decentralizes that whole DNS system. And so it makes it... Uh, censorship resistant, your domain names, it makes it so that they can't be seized, so that they can't be confiscated. And I think that that Bitcoin is just kind of the first uh, to use these types of tools in a way that is going to help us build systems that are uh, censorship resistant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so Monty, Py- Monty Python-esque, uh, Ron Paul going after these ardent supporters, like you said, they they wanted to sell him the domain name, so they tried to work with him directly, but instead he deterred or uh, deterred his authority or deferred his authority to uh, the UN of all places. It is like that movie Brazil. I'm not sure if you've seen it, Trace. It's yeah, just, yeah, I've seen it. It's just completely out there. With Bitcoin, that could be completely subverted. Wouldn't it be a problem? You could own a domain name. And in a way, Bitcoin, with its pseudo-nominity, could protect one's 
private property. Well, as we've written about uh, over at How to Vanish, we have Five Steps to Anonymous Online Speech, a little uh, book that people can buy, and it shows how you can register domain names using Bitcoin and do it pseudo-anonymously, how you can receive payments and sell goods and services, things like that. Uh, but to actually decentralize the whole DNS system, that would be... Uh, that would that would sure be exciting, at least uh, to me, because then you couldn't even seize domain names, even if you wanted to. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, not not even necessarily tying an identity to a domain, but tying the domain just to a, a cryptographic private key, and then it couldn't even be seized. And that I think is w- one of the reasons why the fundamentals of the Bitcoin market are taking off to such a degree that they are. Bitcoin, for the first time in its history, is now it now costs more in U.S. dollars than an ounce of silver. Which is amazing. In two years, you see silver now nearly 50% off of its uh, nearly record-breaking high of about 49.50 last April. And what, since uh, February 1st, I saw you write an article, Trace, about uh, Bitcoin is now 50% north of its price, what, 20 days ago? Yeah, and the, the, the one of the interesting things about Bitcoin is that it's kind of like a jet engine. The faster it goes, the faster it goes because it's sucking in more air. And so as it continues sucking in capital, uh, both speculative demand, people who just want to hold their Bitcoins because they, they go up in uh, price, but also those people who want to use it, so transactional demand, uh, it, it gets more and more economic mass to it. And so uh, because of these network effects that you've been talking about, you know, you've got PayPal and Google wanting to strangle the file share sites. Well, you know, Bitcoin is perfect for them. And Mega Upload, who has millions and millions of customers, he's, going, he's accepting Bitcoin now mm-hmm. with Mega Upload. Yeah. You know, and so these network effects with Reddit, you know, one of the largest, most influential websites on the Internet, the one that uh, just made it politically unpalpable to push through PIPA and SOPA, they're accepting Bitcoin now. And so is Bitcoin, uh, because these fundamentals are being built, it might actually be cheaper on a fundamental basis today than it was a month ago because of these network effects. So ironically, even though the price is going up, it might actually be getting cheaper from that fundamental perspective. It might be getting to be a better deal. And so I kind of think, you know, people aren't going to sell their Bitcoins for dollars or even gold. They're going to spend their Bitcoins. Mm -hmm. And in the process, the things that they spend them on are just going to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was I was reading about the 10,000 Bitcoins for a pizza, you know, less than three years ago. And now (laughs) those 10,000 Bitcoins had nearly bought, you know, that's three hundred thousand dollars now. So. Uh, it's it's getting very exciting how the whole Bitcoin economy is moving forward, uh, and and the march for freedom, you could say. Mm-hmm. I, I understand. I believe that uh, people have a great misunderstanding and the systems evolve, which leads them to put an uh, inordinate amount of trust in the current status quo and system. Darwin obviously gave to us a a slow evolution that was measured over time and consistent. But I think today what many evolutionists and biologists are preferring is a more anarchic understanding of evolution in which fits and spasms give birth to new forms of life or, or natural systems. And I think you can make the analogy that in the sociocultural realm, the same thing is true. Bitcoin is much more representative of the way in which true systems evolve spontaneously 
with creativity and diversity than this old model of slow and steady um, plowing the you know the fields with concrete from here to infinity. Yeah, it it uh, ties right in with Nassim Taleb's new book, uh, Anti Fragility. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that yet, but he brings up this topic, uh, and he he gives an analogy. If you're shipping, say, like uh, champagne glasses, on the box you would write fragile Mm -hmm. because when you introduce a little bit of chaos, it can shatter them, you know, make them completely worthless. They're very susceptible to that. But, like, what's the opposite of fragile? It's not necessarily durable, you know, a regular package. Like... We don't have a word in our language to kind of connote, uh, please rough this box up, you know, please try and damage it. Because the more, you in, the more chaos you introduce to it, the stronger it's going to get, you know, kind of like life and kind of like this evolution you're talking about. And that's exactly what Bitcoin is because our current monetary and financial system with the great credit contraction, I wrote a whole book about it that started... You know, it is in implosion. It is dead. Uh, it's zombified now. And uh, the and it's leading to chaos as it decomposes, you could say. And, uh, you know, the more chaos that it gets, the more it stresses and breaks organizations that are out there, whether it's Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Bank of America, Washington Mutual, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, MF Global. Uh, now it's uh, the, fe- the, the Fed, you know, with Germany saying, hey, give us all our gold back right now. Uh, and so, but on the other side, you've got Bitcoin. And actually, the more chaos, the better it does, you know? Mm-hmm. So you've got this completely, like, negative beta asset to the current banking system. And you, you couple that with its censorship-resistant nature and the tiny market cap. You know, barely $300 million U.S. Uh, and, and to where it could grow, the size it could grow to. I mean, just to be useful in any type of finance, it would need to be thousands of dollars a coin. And so we're definitely in for a wild ride. And the more chaos, I think, the better Bitcoin is going to perform. It's really Bitcoin against the financial world because you see all these companies, Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, what have you, all the dominant financial system players acting as one at the very top. Why can they all shut off funding to WikiLeaks all at once, except for Bitcoin? Why are they all going to move towards getting rid of uh, file-sharing fights? And then it's going to move beyond that trace, I believe. Whereas in college, I was taught that I could source other people's work. I'm, I'm convinced that one day I'm not going to be able to source other journalists' work on the Internet without threat of a lawsuit being filed against me. Uh, so it really is Bitcoin against the rest of these players, because I believe, especially within the dominant financial system, at the top, all of these players are like one. And that, and that's where this does get really exciting, this, you could say, battle royale. Because, you know, on one side, the universe, you could say, it blesses nuclear weapons. They exist. And they have a tremendous amount of violence that they can unleash almost unlimited you could say but then you've got cryptography on the other end and cryptography can absorb an infinite amount of violence you know no amount of violence is going to solve the math problem and so you we've got these uh unstoppable and immovable forces uh, kind of colliding and it's going to be it's going to be fun to see which ones happen because the the math problem can just be there 
and there's nothing the nuclear weapon can do to force it to solve the math problem. Like, <laughs> you got to solve the math problem. You can't force mm-hmm. it, <laughs> even if you're a freaking nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're definitely in for some exciting times. Uh, I think we're about out of time. Any uh, final parting thoughts? No, nothing other than the fact that the younger generation are going to be even more excited about Bitcoin than you and I are. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Uh, I, I already feel like I'm falling behind in the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> anyways, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to chat. And you've been listening to the RunToGold.com podcast. And this episode, we've focused on Bitcoin. Yeah, thanks so much, Trace. And so anybody who's interested in learning more about Bitcoin, go to FreeBitcoinGuide.com. And you can learn how to get started uh, and everything for free.